This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. We seemingly run into conflict in our lives on a variety of bases, whether it's something at work or with your spouse or with your kids. Then there are the elements of conflict that we see happen around the globe as well. But in terms of our own lives, wouldn't it be great to be able to take some of the most emotionally charged situations and resolve them without a serious outcome? Daniel Shapiro is a world-renowned expert on negotiation and conflict resolution. He's the director and founder of the Harvard International Negotiation Program, and he's also the author of the book Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. And Daniel joins us on the phone right now. Daniel, welcome. Thank you so much. It is great to be here with you. Thank you. I always enjoy speaking to another person named Dan because I know they've got a great mind and intellect. (laughs) Yes. I hope so. I hope so. I I found it interesting, though, that that this book really is taking a look at at a couple ends of the spectrum, both the personal and the professional. And, you know, certainly in doing a business radio show, we run into a lot of books that talk about resolving conflict in the office. But in some respects, you're trying to, to, to breach a gap in some respects and understand that there are a lot of the same types of incidents and issues that will happen home and work that can be negotiated in the same kind of manner. Yes. So our research has shown that the underlying dynamics that make our conflict so miserable, whether at work with a tough colleague, at home with a tough spouse, those underlying dynamics tend to be quite similar. Uh, the power of them might be more at work or at home, but the impact is just the same. You know, it's, it's difficult. So, yes. I, I find it interesting, though, that you br- break it down to a very simple and straightforward point, that when you're talking about conflict in the office or conflict at home, the biggest common denominator is the fact that both involve humans, yes. which, which sounds, sounds so kind of off the, the, the beaten path yeah. But but it, it is so true. A- and the fact that humans, we are still a very flawed species. We are both a flawed species and an incredible species. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, what the book in a way is saying, look, how do you deal with these really emotionally charged conflicts, you know, with your board, with somebody at work, again, at home, when, you know, on the one hand, fighting back doesn't work. It just escalates the conflict. Two, ignoring the conflict that doesn't work because the conflict continues to fester. And three, and here's the twisted part, even if you try to you know, collaboratively work things out with your spouse, with your tough teenager at work, even that in emotionally charged conflicts tends not to work because we're not getting to the underlying dynamics that are at play, the underlying emotional forces that tend to drive us toward conflict. So what are those forces, and, and what are people just missing in general today to be able to try and resolve some of this conflict? Well, I, let me give you, um, start with at least one example. So in the book, I talk about a concept that my research has shown is quite powerful in any conflict, and I call it vertigo. And yep. vertigo, think, think about, Dan, think about the most recent conflict that you've gotten into. You don't need to tell me what it is. Right. You know? But um, uh, at home, at work, and vertigo is when you get so emotionally consumed in that conflict that you can think of nothing else 
other than that evil person who did not consult you before making that decision or whatever the problem is, you go home after that long day of work. And yes, you are physically at home. Your body's at home. But your mind is still racing about what happened at work. You are in vertigo. Hmm. And, and the, you know, we all know the experience, but to give it a name empowers you to decide, do I want to go there toward vertigo or do I want to try, do, or do I want to try to have a collaborative, positive conversation here? Well, and it's something that you know, the term vertigo, obviously people, maybe not everybody truly understands what vertigo is, but at least they've heard of it and they understand it. And to be able to link it like that mm-hmm. does make it a little bit of a, of a, of a more understandable process. Yeah, I mean, so as an example, I, just last week I was working with Israelis and Palestinians in the Middle East and sharing with them some of the ideas of this new book, some of the research, including this concept of vertigo. I got an email literally two days ago from one of the very senior players on one of the sides of the conflict, and she says to me in that email, I just got out of a meeting right now, and this was a meeting between sides, in fact. And she says, as I was there in that meeting, I felt that tornado of vertigo moving toward me, you know, yeah. ready to sweep her away. And she said, I thought in my head, do I want to go there? Or do I not? And she decided no. And she said it was an incredibly productive conversation. And, and we all have that choice, you know, whether it's vertigo or some of these other research points in the book. And sometimes then I guess uh, in, in some respects, taking a different approach ends up being the best path then, correct? Absolutely. I, but but it, it's hard to do. Yeah. So another concept that we've uh, you know, really worked to mine in the book is a concept that Sigmund Freud initially called the repetition compulsion. Yeah. And this is the idea that we tend to repeat the same dysfunctional patterns of behavior again and again and again and again, yeah. even though we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And, and what's striking about this is that you know you can send all of your employees to a you know a corporate training on negotiation. They come back yeah. uh, from the training and they think, oh, I, I'm much better. And yes, they might be better for a day or two. But unless you deal with these underlying dynamics, your 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 you know your solidified and printed patterns of conflict resolution, unless you can deal with these and start to try and really work at them and change them, yeah. it's lost money for your company. Well, you talk also in the book about about the taboos that are kind of uh, in the office and, and can be in the family as well. Yes. Whether it's the office or home, there are those issues that are socially prohibited from talking about. And yet it's often those issues that are the ones that are driving so much of the dysfunction either at work or at home. You know, so in the home setting, you know, everybody knows it, but nobody can talk about mom's drinking problem. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's driving the di- or at work. Everybody knows that there's dysfunction going on in that one department, but nobody dares tell the CEO or the senior executives for fear of getting socially punished in some sort of way. And yet, if you don't talk about those issues, you're suffering. You know, it, it affects the bottom line. You also talk in the book, and we're talking with Daniel Shapiro. The book is Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You may very well have seen this type of a situation at work. Maybe you'd like to ask a question in terms of how to resolve it. 844-942-7866. You also talk, actually, at the, at the outset of the book, about, about the role that identity plays in, in, in a lot of these uh, this dysfunction. Identity is huge. You know, so 
you might have the most beautiful relationship with your spouse, uh, you know, so your, your husband, wife, and so on. Uh, and, and yet the moment that conflict hits, all of a sudden there is this mindset that tends to consume us, <clears throat> and I call this the tribes effect. And yep. what this is, is this is a mindset, an adversarial mindset. All of a sudden, my identity becomes enemy, and my wife's identity becomes enemy. And, and, and it's not just a fight-or-flight phenomenon. This is a mindset that consumes us. And, and this is extremely costly within the organization. You can't, you know, it doesn't show up on the, on the spreadsheets. It's, yep. not, it's not a cost there. But the, the cost in, on the bottom line in an organization, if you do not deal with this mindset effectively, is huge. So, yes, identity matters a lot. And identity tends to transform in a problematic way in conflict, but it doesn't need to. You, know. you did an interesting experiment, which you kind of lay out at, at Davos, yeah. uh, which I wanted you to go through because I, it was a rather unique tact in terms of trying to kind of mitigate and, and work through that tribes effect that you talk about. Yes. You know, I think most, most senior business people think, ah, I am immune to that stuff. I'm good at conflict resolution. My, my, you know, from now consulting with, you know, the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, with, with heads of state and so on, as you said at the beginning of our conversation, people are people. We are all human beings. Yes, so there's this exercise I did at Davos uh, at the World Economic Forum. First time I did it there was back in 2006. Forty-five global leaders come into the room, divide them up into six groups. I ask them to create their own tribes at their tables. So to, you know, what are their values, what are their beliefs, and so on. I ask them to dress up in their own tribal outfits. So, I mean, literally, I have, you know, the greatest blackmail in the world, like a deputy head of state in that room with balloons on his head, VCs of some of the most well-known, uh, you know, helping to create some of the most well-known companies and so on. They create these six tribes. And then I get up in front of the room, say, let's debrief the exercise. All of a sudden, the lights go completely black in this room. <laughs> and into the room bursts this intergalactic alien who says, I am an intergalactic alien. I have come to destroy the Earth. I will give you one opportunity to save this world from destruction. You must choose one of these six tribes to be the tribe of everybody. You cannot change anything about your, your own tribe, and if you cannot come to agreement by the end of three rounds of negotiation, the world will be destroyed. <laughs> and out floats the alien. Three rounds of negotiation. The intensity builds and builds. They are talking rationally. Emotions start to pick up. And by round three, in the middle of the room, you have six chairs. Five men come to the middle of the room. VC of, you know, one of the most well-known VCs in the world is one of those negotiators, a media mogul, uh, venture, um, sorry, uh, president of a university. Yeah. And five men, one woman, these men start yelling over one another. They start yelling over this woman, our tribe, no, our tribe, no, ours. This woman gets so upset that she literally stands on her bar stool and she yells, this is just another example of male competitive behavior. You all come to my tribe, you know, and, um, one other tribe comes to hers, the others refuse, yeah. and five, four, three, two, one, boom, our world explodes at Davos. And I have run this exercise dozens and dozens of times with groups around the world, and almost always the world explodes again and again. Then what's the reaction after the fact? 
by by all these executives because I mean seemingly you can see this playing out as it's happening that it's headed down a bad path yet none of them have the wherewithal to try and be able to to figure this out this is our reality right now and this is it's, it's a beautiful question because it's exactly the point of the book you know i you know let's say someone who's listening to your show right now might be in the midst of a miserable divorce and yet you know on some rational level, you're not supposed to be mean to your spouse, you know, that you're divorcing. You have two kids or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. You know at work, I should not be doing this behavior with my colleague. You get sucked into it. That's the problem. The book offers ideas on how to deal with it. How do people deal with it? I mean, at Davos, what happened, you know, as I, um, I asked the group afterward, how do you feel? Yeah. This one guy points to me and says, this is all your fault. <laughs> you know, to me. Sure. You, you set us up for this. And I said, you know what, I, I did everything in my power to try and make the world explode. But at the end of the day, you had a choice. You could have saved the world. And, and I think that is the reality. Conflict is one of the greatest costs on any business, any company, and any family. And it is also one of the things that we have more than any other power to do something about, exactly to your point at the beginning, Dan, yeah. because we are human beings, and this is a human problem, there's a human answer. But a lot of the times the conflict, and you talk about this as well, the conflict is stuff that that you can't see with the naked eye. It's just kind of behind the scenes and festering a lot of times. Yes, and, and at the same time, if you take just a little step back, there often are a small set of factors that tend to drive a lot of our conflicts. You know, let me lay out a few that I talk about. One, autonomy. You know, this core motivation to have the freedom to make decisions without somebody else imposing a decision on you. You know, at work, if one of your teammates makes even a small decision but didn't consult you, it can have a big emotional impact. That's autonomy. Recognize it. Let me give you just one or two more. Yeah. Um, status. We all like to feel high and, you know, good in our social standing. And if, and if, if someone comes along and says, yeah, um, why'd you do that? You know, just even the, the attitude they bring, you suddenly feel smaller, yeah. shrunken. Those are the kinds of things that we can be aware of. What are the underlying emotional factors that tend to stimulate our negative emotions, yeah. get us all revved up, you know? How, how, how much harder is it for people that, that are not only dealing with this type of, uh, of stress uh, and conflict at work, uh, but then they have it at home. And, and then you also throw in, especially the ones that have kids as well, because that being being a dad of a nine year old and two seven year olds, uh, I, you know, I, I get this from uh, quite a bit right now. So you have a nine year old and two seven year olds. I have yep. a 10 and eight and a four. So we're, we're, we're quite similar in name and yeah. in our family lives. Yeah, it's the same tools. You know, are the tools perfect? No. Is, is, does, does, does negotiating the non-negotiable, is it, is it a quick fix? You know, you read the book, you're going to have, you know, beautiful relations immediately. No, and that's not the point. The point is it takes work, but there is a path to get there. Um, so at home, for example, my wife and I, we both know this concept of vertigo, and, you know, she doesn't reject it, even though, you know, I've been working on it. Yeah, right. And she'll, she'll be the first to say to me, you know, hold on, Dan. You know, we are moving toward vertigo. Do you really want to go there now? You know? <laughs> and some of the time, you know, it's like, you know what, I do. <laughs> you know? And some of the times, no, I don't. Yeah. Um, but we're taking back power. We're not letting the conflict control us. We're controlling the conflict, you know. And, and, and I think one other point connected um, is, is you know, the, the, 
a huge point is to shift the dynamic. So it's no longer me versus that other person in the conflict. Right. It's the two of us facing the same shared conflict. Uh, it, it's not me versus my colleague, me versus my wife. They're not the problem. The problem is the conflict. How do we deal with it? That mindset shift is what takes people out of that tribes effect, that adversarial mindset, yeah. and what allows people to save the world. We're talking with uh, Dan Shapiro, who is the author of the book Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. One of the other interesting pieces to this, and, and you know, we talk about how identity is such a, a, a strong factor in this, there are so many times where people hold things, and you, the term sacred is, is one that you use, uh, that a lot of people hold things sacred, and it, it's very hard to kind of negotiate and, and, and discuss things with people because of the sacred nature that they hold certain, uh, certain pieces. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? Well, I, I think business people might think, wait a minute, sacred, that's, for, you know, that's outside the workplace, that's the religious element. Yeah. And my notion of the sacred, anything that you find deeply meaningful within your organization or beyond, it can be religion, but, but it's much bigger, you know, is sacred. Uh, looking at the current situation between Apple and the government, the FBI, um, around the phone situation, you know, there is a sacred value that it appears that Apple holds which is privacy of, uh, you know, of, of information. Yeah. And, and, and they're willing to, you know, to sacrifice a lot to risk elements of their reputation for that. Um, so you know, the sacred is there with us. One huge point is just recognize it. And even more than that, think carefully you know, with your various different teams, with the leadership teams in an organization, what do you hold sacred? What, what is your identity within the organization? Mm -hmm. In the book, I talk about a simple model called BRAVE. You can walk through and think through with your organization. What are the beliefs that are important to your organization or, or to you personally? What rituals do you find are useful to do? You know, the holidays, the monthly you know, outing that your team does. What are the allegiances that are important to your company? What are the values that are most essential? And what are those emotionally meaningful experiences that define your organization? You know, the, the way back in the day when all those Microsoft Apple people were in their garage building their computers, that was a big deal. You know, and that, that story still affects these companies to this day. Yeah. Do the companies themselves truly understand how, how, how important a topic this is? Uh, to, to really be successful, not only to the bottom line, but just the corporate culture as well. You know, your point hits it dead on. I think when, when a company looks at their spreadsheet, their financial spreadsheet, what they see is one cost, typically, maybe one, you know, it's one or two, around, uh, around conflict, which is the legal fees, you know, the litigation and, the, the, and so on. And yet, like you are saying, the burden of conflict is tremendous with all of the hidden costs. You have the poor decision-making because that team is so dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah. You have all of that time, and, and it is extraordinary in terms of cost. The amount of time devoured to resolving the conflict between the disputants, the manager, the HR, the grievance investigation. You have your superstar players that end up walking from your company next door to your competition is it about the salary? Absolutely not. It's because yeah. I can't stand you guys. <laughs> you, and then you get the toxic corporate culture, the damage to the reputation, and on and on and on. Yeah. 
it, 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 it stacks up to be exponentially more. You also talk about, you know, if you get to the point where you, you really just have irre- irreconcilable differences, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Well, I, I, the number one reason I get called into organizations to consult, you know, a CEO brings me in, closes the door to their office and says to me, look, how do you deal with irrational people? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And the moment I hear that question, 99% of the time, the siren goes off in my head and says, you know what, this is completely negotiable. And, and what people tend to do, once you get into this adversarial mindset, all of a sudden, I am closed off to the other side, to their world. I start to believe my way is right and legitimate, their way is wrong and illegitimate. Yeah. I'm living in a closed world. And so often what I'll do with, with, um, with, with people in the corporate world and even in the family world in crisis is to have them literally move seats. You know, I want you to sit over here in this other seat right here, take on the role of that other person who they find completely irrational. Yeah. And we systematically walk through what do things look like from your perspective as the other party. And, and, and this little exercise alone has allowed breakthroughs in international conflicts. Um, Peru, Ecuador is an example. Yeah. I was working with uh, someone recently doing a multi-billion dollar uh, merger, and it, was, it hit some problems. It was a CEO problem between the two CEOs. They just didn't like each other. And, yeah. and all I got, it did it there. It broke the impasse. You know, these aren't foolproof methods. I'm not saying, you know, these are all the answers, but this stuff does work, and it could save extraordinary amounts of money. It leverages the organization. It helps your family. Uh, we're talking with Dan Shapiro, the author of the book, Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. Uh, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess it, you know, we have uh, the, the level of conflict we do in the office, yet, as you alluded to, with some of the things that are going on globally right now, uh, I think in some respects we've almost taken that, that level of conflict at, almost to granted, to be granted at this point. And that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. It's dangerous. It's what, it keeps me awake at night. It's what motivated me to do this in the first place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, oh, yeah, there's the Syria conflict. That's right. Oh, yeah, you know, we, yeah, we just have all this problem of terrorism here. It's just the way, oh, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, and, and, and to even make it, uh, you know, to, to add to it with, with kids of my own, the fact of school shootings, you know, the, the level of violence in our world. You know, one of the concepts that, I, that we've discussed so far, taboos, is an interesting one for the public to start to think through. Yeah. It used to be taboo to take a gun and shoot people in a mall or in a theater sure. in, or, you know, in a school. It, yes, we still find it reprehensible, but the line of what we, find, we as a, 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 a um, global community find acceptable and as a national community find acceptable has shifted. And, and, and I do think that, you know, it, it, it would merit good effort, uh, you know, it'd be, be good to bring groups together and to say, look, how do we as a national community, as a global community, work to shift that taboo line back a little bit? Right. To say, even if you feel alienated, 16-year-old kid, we still love you. Don't pick up that gun. Talk to us. <laughs> you know, or, 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 you know, 16-year-old kid in the Middle East who, you know, you're about to strap that thing on your chest. Uh, you know, talk to some of your... your um, the colleagues from your own community and have them make a, reach out to talk with you. You know, so much of what we see in our world that is problematic, I don't think needs to be problematic. There's no quick fix, but there are ways of dealing with it. 
Daniel, it's a very interesting book. Thank you very much for coming on today. Greatly appreciate it. It is an honor, my fellow Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> All the best. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.